Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Driving Electric, we explore the intersection between real estate and electric vehicles. We'll discuss how electric vehicles are impacting the choices we make, the charging infrastructure needed, and what's gained and lost in the driving experience. And with that, Alex, please take us out. When we get started talking about electrification, we have to talk about electricity as a whole. It was a massive subject and goes back to the Greeks, who have been recorded to have discovered electricity. And of course, Ben Franklin, who was famous for discovering the connection between lightning and electricity. And then it was an Italian, Alessandro Volta, who invented the battery in the 1800s. So we've come a long way. And it's only until recently, in the 2000s, that vehicles have actually become fully electric. And today, there are roughly 2 million fully electric cars curling on the road and 6.8 million hybrid vehicles in the United States. And in 2021, one in five cars bought were electric. And it's estimated that by 2040, only 33% of all cars on the road will be electric. And actually, I don't really believe that. I think, I think it's going to be a lot more. Uh, but there's a debate about EVs, charging, uh, range anxiety, uh, and much more, which affect where and in some cases how we live. And Jamie, I think you're in the market for a vehicle purchase, right? I certainly am. And it's only been 22 years since my last car. So I'm what a headache to have to go through all this again. <laughs> As someone said to me, no matter what car you buy, it's going to feel like you're on the Starship Enterprise in terms of technology compared to what you're driving. Especially when you move up from a horse and buggy, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even have a rear view camera. I've never had a car with a rear view camera, which by the way, I think says a lot about my incredible parking skills. Well, you know what? I... <laughs> Uh, I actually have been in your car. You don't even have serious radio. Like you, you don't have satellite radio in your vehicle. Uh, you can't like there's no Bluetooth. So I don't know how you get from point A to point B. To be to be honest, a lot of plugs and whistles. Believe me, that that light that lighter in my car has not been used for cigarettes in a while. But that's powering half the electronics I need to carry with me at all times. And you're absolutely right. I need I need a, a car that encompasses all that now. Yeah, well, speaking about electronics, I mean, it's amazing how different vehicles today are from where they used to be. I mean, they're basically moving computers, right? Versus they were these combustion engine devices that basically you're riding on. Um, uh, I mean, you're riding on a rocket ship, basically. You're riding on fuel that's combusting. Uh, pistons are firing. To, you know, it's a surprise when you think about it that we uh, are so concerned about our safety and yet we're riding in these dangerous vehicles and more people die. There were a lot of issues with the vehicles today. And then you now you see the electrification trend, not just in the battery technology, but just on the car overall uh, and where that's become. You can't open the window without electricity nowadays. It's a great point that cars have become so technologically advanced. Uh, it used to be a rite of passage in the United States. When you were a kid, you learned how to work on your car with your dad. You learned how to 
fixed the carburetor, you learned how to, you rebuilt an engine, you know, you, you saved your money in high school, and when you were 17, you bought some clunker, and you and your friends worked on it and fixed it. Now, it's almost impossible for the layman to work on a car. Everything is so technology-related and chip-related. When you want to get a diagnosis, you go into the dealer, they plug your car into a computer. That's how they diagnose what's wrong with your car. I mean, it's a whole different world, which I'm, which I, which I'm embracing with this new purchase, which is going to be happening. Yeah, actually, that's so funny because I'm from Jersey. And maybe this is a Jersey thing. But when I was a kid, if you ask someone, you know, what are you doing on the weekends? And they tell you, oh, I'm actually building an engine from scratch. You'd actually be really impressed. He's like, wow, that kid's going someplace. I mean, this guy, this guy is definitely a That's a doer. That's a doer. <laughs> be a doer, like Pain and Gain, the movie with Mark Wahlberg. Be a doer. Well, listen, I did go out. I've been test driving a lot of cars, and I actually went out and I test drove a uh, Tesla. And uh, let's discuss a little bit about the positives and negatives that I find as the layman looking to buy for the first time potentially an electric car. So number one. The whole experience with the dealership is light years ahead and more enjoyable than the regular uh, combustion, combustion engine car industry. In the combustion engine car industry, you, you go in there, you got to sit down, you talk to the guy, you talk forever, then he shows you the vehicles, then you decide you're going to test drive, he has to go get the vehicle, you wait for him, you get in the car, you drive what, around seven blocks at 38 miles an hour to get a feel, quote unquote, for the car. And then you, and while he's there the whole time, look at this, look at that, look at this, look at that. You're trying to, you're trying not to hit anything more than anything else. You got the pressure of the salesman right there and it's over in five minutes. At Tesla, you show up, the guy gives you a code, tells you where the parking garage is. You go over to the car, you unlock the car, you get in, you drive it for 30 minutes anywhere you want to go. I went, picked up my cousin, brought her back for lunch. And then you bring, then you return the car. There's no salesman. There's no hard sell. So in terms of that, very, very attractive. Well, that's a good point because what you what you're saying is the whole entire experience changing. You know, that's what the difference between Tesla and the other automotive companies. And I used to work um, for an agency uh, on on the Ford Motor Company business, so I've, I'm quite familiar with with how Ford and the other OEMs operate. Um, and it's not just about the vehicle, right? So Tesla didn't just create an electric vehicle that everybody wants. They, they transformed the entire experience of what it's like to own a vehicle, like to purchase a vehicle, et cetera, et cetera. So, they wouldn't, so when, when, when you look at, you know, sort of pound for pound and you compare Ford's EV program with Tesla's electric vehicle program, it's actually not apples to apples at all. And so, it, so when you when you say, well, you know, Ford and Nissan and all these guys and, and GM are going to come out with electric vehicles and eat Tesla's lunch, you know, I kind of laugh because it's not just about the car that makes the difference. You make an extremely valid point, which is that not every electric vehicle is the same, just like not every computer is the same. One of the reasons I think Apple has done so well is because they opened up these stores and all of a sudden the experience of buying a computer of somebody knowledgeable was so much different than the Circuit City and Best Buy experience where you went to buy every other computer that it's not it's not apples and apples. You're absolutely right. So, remember, remember, remember Crazy Eddie? <laughs> Crazy Eddie. Crazy Eddie Cantor. <laughs> I mean, it was like when you, when you when you wanted to buy a microwave, it was like a negotiation. You had to haggle, 
Remember, remember that there was a point in time we had to haggle to get a TV. And it was so funny. Like, you know, and the funniest thing about what you just said is when you went to buy a microwave, <laughs> nobody buys a microwave nobody anymore. It comes it. with the apartment got, now. Nobody, you don't, you don't make that purchase. I don't know. I don't need, well, how much does a microwave cost? How the freaking do I know? All right. So number two, the second thing I liked about the Tesla, and I'm talking about Tesla as opposed to electric in general, because I only tested the Tesla, uh, is the acceleration is like the Starship Enterprise with Sulu at the helm. You put your foot your foot down and it's a thousand percent torque. I mean, there's it's immediate. The 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 uh, the power goes to the to the wheels immediately, and and that is very rewarding. As yeah, a and that's and that's just the benefit of of electric, right? You don't have to have any kind of combustion happening, right? I'm not I'm not an engineer, but but you know it takes a, a minute for like a piston to hit and then to fire and to create a chain reaction, which electric it's automatic, so it's instant. And that 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 whole experience, I think, in some ways is um, really helping the auto and motor enthusiasts who loves that acceleration, the ability to go off the line, you know, and beat the next guy or whatever, um, like that really appeals to those folks. Of course, for me, I, I don't know, I don't know the difference between 0.6 and 0.8. To me, it doesn't really make a difference. But um, for most people who, who love who love vehicles, it does. So I, I guess it, I guess it resonated with you. But you're coming from a performance car anyway, so you you've right. You've, so I'm a performance driver. That's true. So that did that has more maybe more weight carries more weight with me. And the third thing that I was very attracted to the car was it's quiet, right? There's no noise. And as a guy who has a problem with my apartment with Ferraris revving up at two in the morning, well, I can't wait for the Ferraris to come out with their electric vehicle. So the guy in the corner, well, what we need is a Harley Davidson electric. That's what would really go a long way to helping the quality of my life. I would even be willing to add to the subsidies for other people to buy the Harleys. You know, the funny thing is, though, you say that, but it's also the thing that most people miss about electric vehicles, right? They miss the roaring of the engine. They miss the revving of the engine. And uh, and actually, as a matter of fact, I know that some um, some OEMs, some automotive companies, were, are, were, were exploring with um, the sound and actually recreating the sound and making that an option. So you can, pr you can press a button, and then if you accelerate the vehicle, you hear that roar, which, I mean, you know, I guess appeals to some people, but for me, it would just sound disingenuous i mean i don't i don't know what what difference that would make for me but 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 that's a, the 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 audio factor of power and the effect and impact of it does make a little bit of difference for a lot of folks that's one of the negatives on my negative list which we're going to get to now oh, you which is missing the list. roar missing what, the roar what of the engine. what yeah me having a negative list looking at something negatively jamie <laughs> blonde please mr optimist come on so that's obviously one of the negatives. When you take your foot off the gas, the car breaks by itself. It's like it helps to recharge the engine by capturing some of that energy that you're as you're slowing down. But that's a weird feeling. Now I've talked to people and they say you can turn it off. Uh, you can turn it on, you can turn it off. But that's just a I found that to be a very weird feeling that when you take your foot off the gas, it doesn't coast, it starts to break and you have to get used to that because all of a sudden you're braking where you don't want to brake. Like, you know, you see cars in front of you, you want to slow down, you're not really ready to brake, you just want to take your foot off the gas, the car starts to brake. So I found that I found that very disturbing. It was a very weird feeling of driving. Yeah, I think that that's like, a, you know, one of those experience shifts right this behavioral shift as um society advances you know there, you know there's a point where 
Um, uh, people probably didn't like um, the feeling of, of a match <laughs> or a lighter. Like, oh man, I, I love to, I have to sit for, you know, 20 minutes with, you know, with a couple of stones and get that stones. fire going. Like, I mean, uh, the experience, like Hanks. the feeling of that is just, I mean, there's people that probably had an issue when they transitioned. So I, I get, you know, all of us, uh, you know, have to kind of, you know, kind of adapt in some way or shape or form. But I, I hear your point, like, you know, rolling to a stop and, you know, maybe even in some cases, knowing your car so much and the wear and tear that you, um, that the brakes didn't work exactly perfectly. And you, you kind of knew how it, like, your car felt. Uh, and you knew how the brakes sort of didn't work when you wanted to became part of the experience. I'll tell you this, anybody who hasn't been in a Tesla, you know what it feels like? It feels like if you've ever played golf, it's like a golf cart. You take off your foot off the foot off the gas and the cart slows down and stops by itself. It's just a weird feeling. But that that minimalism, you know, you know, I, 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 of the car itself is also an issue, right? Because there's no cockpit. You know, there's no, there are no knobs and gizmos for the air conditioning, uh, you know, for, for the, for the lights, for the music. It's just a flat panel TV, a a computer, and you go in there and you, every time you want to, if you want to move the vent on the air conditioning, you want to, you want to change the speed of the fan, you got to go on the computer and have the computer change it instead of just leaning over and touching a knob, you know, having all those bells and whistles. I just saw Top Gun Maverick. I love that cockpit. I want that cockpit. Yeah, well, it reminds me of of uh, Tom Hanks and Apollo thirteen, right? I mean, it's like this. Yeah, they're freaking out because there's condensation on the knobs, right? I mean, it's like the thing. I mean, you know, and this is two thousand and twenty two, going on twenty three. I think we're, I think we we can. Yeah, everyone uses smartphone, right? I mean, I think when was the last time? I mean, I, I, my prediction, to be fair, like in five years, we won't have keys anymore right like you know we're actually pressing buttons i mean there's a system we're gonna have chips in our head and then what's the tom hanks minority report where as you walk by the subway they read your retina and they uh and they put an ad that's focused on specifically for you is, is that where we're going yeah i was i was watching a um uh a robert redford movie last night and you know it was old movies that goes into a telephone booth dialing uh the phone was that three days of the condor or something <laughs> uh it was it was about watergate actually it was that that big movie, oh yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, woodward and bernstein and so uh but more of the story is is that there were there were dials and then there were buttons and then in a digital age with iphones and ipads you know the 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 tactile uh, data entry component of buttons and dials seems so archaic. So I, I would say, so if for me, it's like, okay, well, you know, if you're thinking about the future of, of driving, I, I would want to, I would want to shift it right over to, to, um, to screens. Now, I, I think the debate, I think to your point uh, is, did we do that too, too drastically? I mean, it was you know, <laughs> going from knobs to literally to an iPad in your vehicle operating everything. It might've been, I think a big, a bigger leap or, or too big of a leap for a lot of people. I think so. And finally, and this is the biggest issue is the charging anxiety, mm-hmm. the charging station um, footprint uh, and how you use the car. Like for example, <clears throat> my brother, uh, Um, uh, my cousin, everybody I know who's had a Tesla or has a Tesla loves it, but they live in homes. They charge it in their garage at night and they charge it at work if they need to, which they probably don't even need to do that. But I live in an apartment building 
And if you live in an apartment building, you're at the whim of the four charging stations on level five and who's using them and if they're available. And if I got to go someplace and I'm out of a charge and I have to wait, I can't, I can't go anywhere. And I just wonder, you know, what that dynamic looks like. There was a big article in the Wall Street Journal about these people who decided to try to go from New Orleans to Chicago and back in four days using an electric vehicle. And uh, besides the fact they didn't really save that much money, they only saved about $100 over four days versus what it would have cost in gas. It was a nightmare in terms of finding the station. Stations are broken. Uh, if you do find a station and you leave your car to charge, then you have to get to wherever you're going from wherever you are there. So the charging the charging issue is a concern to me. I don't know if we're ready yet. Yeah, I mean, you, you raise a good point, right? I mean, but there's, I think it, you can break it down into a couple of different areas. I mean, the first part you mentioned is about the, the house versus apartment. And I know that, um, you know, 20 years ago, when there, when the first kind of hybrid, I mean, let's just, you know, back in the, what was it, the Toyota Prius? I mean, as a matter of fact, those were really good, old, the good old days when um, in California, I used to live in California from 20, 2000 to 2003, they had the diamond lanes that were, dedicated for people with an EV or hybrid and you get and you get benefits right you get you can beat the traffic if you're riding around this little Prius so and I think it was Brad Pitt I think who one of the celebrities that bought the DiCaprio first DiCaprio was DiCaprio right so I mean yeah. but there, so there was a lot of fanfare and energy and, and as a cultural um movement a lot of ways around around hybrids and electricity uh back you know back in the early 2000s but so your point about the houses and the apartments the, what was interesting about apartments is that developers weren't really thinking about EVs back in those days. And it doesn't, it, you know, you can't build an apartment building and a parking structure in a day or in a year or in five years for that matter. And so in some cases, the, the developers were out of sync with the trend, rightfully so. I mean, nothing against developers, but they may have been out of sync with the trend of EVs. So now that things are getting really interesting, uh, it behooves developers to think more about charging stations in their buildings and in their structures. I do know that that there was a period, I'm sure it's ongoing, where developers need to, real estate developers need to sit down with automotive companies who need to sit down with government transportation officials to see how the buildings that people live in, the streets that people drive on, and the vehicles that, that companies are making all work together, right? Because you know, they, they, I don't feel like they sit in the same room when they think about these kinds of things. So if they did, I mean, I think we would all start to find a, a, a happy center where we would, we would all be, be good, but I don't think we're there yet. Well, we're a capitalist society, right? Demand drives change. And as you say, as the, as the EV uh, industry is growing and the percentage of cars uh, are growing that are electric, the demand will be there. It's interesting, you know, there are about 41,000 ch uh, public charging stations in the United States. Compare that to about 150,000 gas stations. Um, but what's interesting is don't forget that the Tesla charging stations, if you don't have a Tesla, you can't use them. If you have an EV, a Volt, a Chevrolet Volt, and they have a station, Tesla can't use that. So even though it sounds like there's a lot of stations, a lot of them are concentrated. For example, a third of all the stations are in California. And even in California, 20% of electric vehicle drivers reverted back to gas uh, vehicles because of the stress of the charging experience. 
So I, I think your point is exactly well taken that it's a big, it's a big endeavor that is going to involve everybody who's in the industry and government, but we will get there. I think, don't you think we will get there? I, I guess the timing is the issue. Yeah, we'll get there, but you know, it's, it's not too dissimilar to the uh, wireless network issue. Well, that that's a had, good point. Yes. We had in this country. Remember we had, you know, we had different states with different laws. We had some carriers that were, partially coveraged and uh, and there was a big thing that you changed your carriers based on the coverage area right and so everyone was fighting there was no one that really had a national coverage and as a matter of fact i remember the time when you had your mobile your wireless and when you traveled from new york to california that was long distance <laughs> and then there was there was there was selling fees because one carrier had to sell your service and your call to the and it was a mess. And so there was no regulation around the difference, the, the, the usage of of wireless phone technology, whatever you want to call it. But it, and that that was fundamental to everything that we do, forgetting about driving commuting to work or going to the park. It was like everything. And so I think that's what's happening now where you've got different technologies, different IP of different car companies around batteries. You've got the the the, the IP around the actual device that sticks into the car, um, the, you know, the nozzle, what have you, that and the, the receiving device. All of those things are proprietary and that change the dynamic of, of how, in fact, your vehicle is charged. And so there needs to be a standard. I think that needs to happen. There needs to be an adapter, perhaps. I think the interim solution would be Okay, you know, if you're gonna, you know, so and so has a as an adapter for Tesla um, vehicles versus Nissan versus Ford, that may be an interim solution. But I think you're not going to start seeing major uh, standardization until the government gets involved. I think the more you you, you leave it to the devices of the OEMs uh, to figure it out, they're going to do their own thing. Because to your point, why would I want to build a car that um, that Tesla benefits or a Ford uh, customer benefits from, uh, or why do I build a station that eight other car companies can use and not give my customers a special advantage? So a lot of those things are going to come into play. I think you're right. I think uh, and I, I, I'm the last guy to be a favor of government intervention or big government <laughs> in anything. But in certain areas like standardization, uh, yes, the government needs to step in, I think. And and, the, and I think Biden is in, his, in this current bill has proposed 15 billion for charging station infrastructure. I, am I someone's going to have to be in charge of maintaining those charging stations, because apparently a ton of those charging stations don't even work. Right? And you think yourself, the guy puts a charging station on the side of his Burger King, you know, if it breaks what is how what does he really care right so you have to figure out who really benefits from keeping these things maintained maybe there's a new business there you know like feed the mayonnaise to the tuna call starkist you know there's there's a business there's a business there you know what that's called that's called jobs yeah exactly i think i think when we start thinking about evs and charging stations we think about the the gas attendants that uh, are no longer going to exist of course once again i say i'm from jersey probably the only state in america that you that it's a full service gas station still um but you, you you're gonna need people. You know, nine guys come running out they do your wind remember, remember those old ads like in back to the future you got two guys doing your windshield somebody's pumping your gas today good luck finding the guy to get him behind the, he's barricaded behind a bulletproof glass box. Good luck getting him out to help you. Yeah, we learned how to live with bugs uh, on our windshield. I mean, I, I but I, I, you know, I think I think to your point, it's like you know we're gonna have 
there's going to be a whole revolution of new in new technology course new but new industry and services around evs unlike we've ever seen before i don't think it's going to really necessarily resemble um what we have today and i think thinking that it's just going to be another version of a gas station might be a little bit might be a little bit short-sighted i don't know you know you make an interesting analogy to cellular and maybe we can learn from the europeans who seems like they were ahead of us in terms of cellular i remember when in the early days of cellular you got charged if you received the call you had no control over it the phone rang and you got charged for that whereas in europe nobody got charged for receiving a call only making the call and eventually we got to the point here in the states where you pay a monthly bill and none of that matters and and i, I think to your point i think we're gonna we're gonna evolve to that but at the beginning it's an expensive thing it was expensive to have a cell phone like michael douglas in the movie Wall Street walking around with a brick that only five people could afford. Right now, everybody has a cell phone. Everybody has a cell phone. Yeah, you know, but I, I think th the same is going to happen with cars. Yeah, you know, I think uh, to your to your point, though, I think that we're we're we were ahead of the Europeans, and that was our problem um, because we 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 were so ahead, and we had issues with 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 different states and regulatory issues around coverage that we didn't that we had. We, we went online with eight different markets and different carriers or more, where when Europe and the smaller countries, they went online, it was one carrier. So they, there was less issues with interstate or intercountry communication as much as we had. So we had a, we, we, we were ahead in that in fact they benefited from our, from our mistakes in a lot of ways and created a more efficient system. But I, but I, I hear what you're saying. Look, I think to your point, I think electrification has a huge impact on everything. Right? Uh, obviously, as a vehicle in and of itself, which, by the way, the range anxiety bit I get, but it's a very small percentage of people, right? I think I don't know how many people. How many people do you know that go on road trips? Yes, but the thing is, this is if 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 you do occasionally travel, you have to have two cars. You can't. Your only car can't be an EV. You know, like I know somebody who had an example where they have two cars, one's an EV, one's not, and they were and and you know, and they were gonna lend one car to somebody else to use, but they couldn't because it was EV. You'd have to map how you're gonna get from from say Massachusetts to Maine, and you couldn't, you know, it, it was a nightmare to figure that out and map it out and know where to stop and figure out the stations. You don't even know if they work. It was a nightmare. So so I think I think you're right. That anxiety doesn't affect most people. But it does affect someone if your only car is an EV. Right. Okay. I get you. I get it on that. But I mean, first of all, I, no one is riding from Massachusetts to to Maine. Okay, that's for starters. But I think secondarily, I think um, the fact is is that most people use their car to go to work, and it's a fact that ninety five percent of your car's usage is sitting in a parking lot, either at work or at home. So the car is basically never used. And that 5% of the time, there's a percentage of that that you're traveling, you know, you know, to the grocery store, um, traveling to pick up your kids. Um, but very rarely you're going to go on a road trip, maybe once a year or once every several years, you're going to take the kids or family, what have you, to Yosemite or something. But so I think a lot of people focus on that range anxiety. Of course, there are people that do travel a lot, so I'm not, no, not trying to ignore them. But for the most part, everyone focuses on the anxiety, but it's actually not how, how most people drive. So I, I you know, clearly... Tesla and, and all the OEMs are trying to solve that by by increasing the 
the length and duration and range and all of that, which is great. But I think what we're going to start finding, much like hard drives, is that we have more capacity than we actually need. I mean, I've got a two terabyte hard drive that I don't even use, right? So I think we're going to find the technology advances further beyond our need. And which is, I think is not a bad thing, to be honest, but I think we're going to get there. But it, but I don't think the range anxiety should be the reason why you don't buy an electric vehicle. I think it depends a lot on on your on your situation. And I agree with you that if you're mostly just going to work at home, there are a lot of advantages to having an electric vehicle, especially if you have a charger in your home. I do want to hit on one final point on electric vehicles, which is the price point. We're still at a price point that's very high. And, and there's a reason that the government is throwing $7,500 at you. It's because you're buying a $100,000 car, right? Or a $70,000 car. Now, well, yes, it's true. You can get the Tesla three for 47, 48,000. That's still 30% higher than the average car that's purchased in the United States. And for most people, in order for us to go to that next level, to go from 10% cars to like you think that there'll be way more than 33% in 2040, we need a price point that's more approachable that more that is that is more approachable to a bigger group of people than the, the quote unquote rich or well off high middle class that are buying EVs and either their own vehicle or a second vehicle but they're buying mostly vehicles and they're taking advantage of these subsidies but they're expensive cars and you know and, I, and once the cars get cheaper and they will as we as technology improves like anything else like the cell phone got cheaper once the car gets cheaper i think then there could be a massive explosion if we have the infrastructure in place well I, you mean you made a great point i mean the cell phone is a good example um i mean the, the beginning of automotive vehicles right i mean the first car ever was very expensive first automobile was extraordinarily expensive and a lot more expensive than a horse <laughs> Okay. So I think, I think relatively speaking, you know, we'll eventually get there. I think it's going to take a lot of people to want to go there in order for it to happen. Right. So I think, you know, um, I'm surprised literally that Tesla was able to come out with a vehicle that's, you know, in the high thirties. I mean, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you couldn't really get a car for less than $30,000 unless you bought like a Hyundai or something. Right. I mean, it was like, there was a there's a there was a big gap between cost and prestige, uh, cost and function, uh, and all that. And even very back then, you, you only had you know sedans as an option. You didn't have SUVs. You, you didn't you, your your gas tank was kind of small. So you only well, these had, sedans today. These small cars they don't make any money. All these all these automakers all they only make the money on the trucks. Exactly, it's a loss leader. Exactly. But and, and by the way, I, listen, I went into Tesla. You show me where you can walk out with a Tesla for thirty-eight thousand and I, sold. Okay, I'll take ten of them. All right, because there's an arbitrage there. Right, but, so, you, but, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, I think I think I know exactly what you're know, saying, I, and, I, and and we're both in agreement. We'll get their price point. Yeah, my my first car I had a Honda Civic, and you know I had eight mile. It was like an eight gallon tank. That was my first car too. <laughs> That's uh, it was eight gallon tank. And literally, it was like eight miles to the gallon. I mean, it was like- It, it was, was so small, you could fit it into the <laughs> trunk of a Honda Civic today. If your Honda Civic today has a flat tire, you could pull out the old Honda Civic and drive to get help. <laughs> and, it, and it was it was close to $20,000. So, I mean, you should think about, you know, just in terms of the price. I think 
We'll, we'll eventually get there. I believe, I truly believe the cost, the long-term cost of ownership. Cause once again, back in those days, your car lasted three years max. I mean, it would, then it would fall apart. Your warranties hit you. Uh, they ended and you're, you're fending for yourself. Now, now cars can go a hundred thousand miles. Correct. And, and, and so I think there's a lot of things that are changing about the economics of car ownership they're going to make ev seem a bit more attractive uh and and continue to do so over over years well this has been so interesting i got to tell you for me most likely this car that i'm going to buy next which based on how long i keep my car maybe the last car i ever buy um <laughs> hopefully not um is most likely not going to be an electric is your next automobile going to be an electric oh for sure i mean first of all i, I don't want a car right i think i think I think cars in the in urban areas are relatively useless and a waste. I'm I've completely bought into the 95% waste um, story. So I, I don't want a car. I'll just borrow yours. <laughs> Perfect. I'll just leave the code. You can just come pick it up. <laughs> well, that wraps up uh, our discussion about electric vehicles. Hope you enjoyed it. Please tune in to the next show. And as always, send us your comments. We'd love to hear them. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.